On this episode of Aka Education, Justin speaks with Elise Hackle on working with neurodiverse students in the music classroom and how acapella can be a beneficial tool. Elise talks about her approach to ensure that all students are given the tools to succeed in the music classroom. Let's get ready. It's time for some Aka Education. It's Hey everybody, it's Justin Glodish and welcome to episode 37 of the Aka Education Podcast. With this, with me this week, I have a very special guest. Her name is Elise Hackle and she's an adaptive music and special education teacher in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, currently working on her administrative degree, but she is pretty much... Uh, she does it all. You know, she focuses on bringing um, more uh, neurodiversity training into the classroom, working with students of all different, um, you know, shapes, sizes, I guess you could say. She, she just is amazing. She actually was nominated by the Illinois State Board of Education as one of those who excel, a teacher of the year program they offer. And she received an award of merit for that. She is involved with varsity vocals in the ICHSA and the ICCA programs. Like I said, she, she does it all. Elise, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so glad, you know, and uh, not for nothing, actually, Elise contacted me because she had listened to a previous episode on some of the topics that we were talking about. And I'm so glad that she did, um, especially uh, talking about neurodiversity and um, neurodivergent students. Um, for those of you that don't know, a neurodiversity really focuses on students, you know, that may have dyslexia, autism, ADHD, dyspraxia, those types of um, social emotional um, disorders uh, that they might have or neurological conditions um, and really focus on the sense that we're not looking for a cure. We know that they're different, but we're making them, we're adapting to them to make them stronger learners and more positive individuals, I guess, I guess you could say. So Elise, um, how did you actually get involved with uh, focusing on neurodivergent uh, learners and focusing on special education? Yeah, so I went to undergrad initially for special education specifically. My sister is autistic, so that was kind of my first experience growing up. And she has a musical mind beyond anything. I mean, I have my master's in, in music. She's way beyond me. Mm-hmm. And she's never studied. So it's pretty cool to see. But when I was younger, I noticed that as I was involved in music programs, I'd hear her doing things kind of in the background. And I had a music minor in my undergrad. I believe I was home one weekend. And I'm trying to figure out how a phrase goes. And I hear her humming in the background. I hear her answering the phrase. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, hmm, this is really interesting I wonder if this is a sort of communication. And the more I picked up on it, the more anytime she was having a sensory overload, specific songs, always in minor keys, popped up. Or the more she got excited about things, she would hum major triads and just kind of all these interesting pieces. So I thought, I wonder how these can work together and ended up adding a music major on as well. And then I took a class that was specifically at the time, it was called for special learners, which now we're embracing neurodiversity, right? Mm-hmm. So we can say disabled, we can say students with special needs. Um, so when I took that class, I, I instantly saw the connection in a general music classroom and I knew this is what I had to do. I got lucky that when I started teaching, my first classroom was in an alternative school. 
self-contained classes, inclusion classes, mainstream classes, uh, preschool through grade eight, all neurodiverse students. So it was kind of perfect. <laughs> That's amazing. And, you know, I love that you bring, uh, it, there's a personal reason as to why you got involved. And I, I think, you know, having that connection really makes it more, again, more personal, like you're strongly connected to, um, you know, doing what's right and doing your job. Now, uh, teaching adaptive music classes, um, as I mean, that's at least what I call it in my district, adaptive music, focusing on students with special needs. Um, how do you approach teaching specific concepts to students in that classroom if they have varying needs? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned adaptive music because even still, when I started, that was not the term, right? And this was like seven, seven or eight years ago, even. <laughs> that wasn't the term. And I remember when I went to go do my postgraduate degree, everybody was like, what is adaptive music? What is this? And that is what we call it. I'm trying to move towards accessible music. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I'm just going to just throw this out there for any music educators listening <laughs> again. We're really focusing on neurodiversity, accessibility, and we're really trying to aim for accessibility over inclusion with the mindset that accessibility means our world is accessible for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas inclusion is we've built the society in this box and let's try to include you in it as opposed to building the world for, you know, for everyone. So right. accessibility is where I'm pushing, accessibility coach. Um, and when I work with my students, I think we all, and maybe it's from a personal lens, right? I've, I've grown up with my sister and I've seen these things. I think as music educators, we get a little bit nervous thinking, well, this is the standard. And this is how we teach the standard. And this is how we've always taught the standard, right? This is how yeah. our teachers taught us. This is what the books say. This is how I'm going to do it. And that works for some people, right? Mm -hmm. And when we talk about neurodivergent learners, we're talking about everybody in the classroom too, right? Everybody learns differently. We know this. We know we have to incorporate universal design for learning. We have to ensure that every student's needs are being met, especially from an SEL standpoint, which I'm sure we'll get to soon. Oh, yeah. But have to make sure that we're meeting the needs of every student. So really for me, it comes down to modifying. And I know a lot of music teachers are like, wait, what's the difference between adapting and modifying? And that's kind of been a big question. And so I just, just a big touch base is adapting is like changing the what, right? So the what we're doing. So if I'm adapting my curriculum, I'm changing the standards. I'm changing the songs. I'm changing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. If I'm modifying, I'm changing how we're doing it. So mm -hmm. for me, it's mostly modifications because my what is still the same. Like we're still working towards the goal of we're doing locomotor movements, even though maybe you can't physically move parts of your body, right? But we're <laughs> going to do it. It's just how do we do it? Okay, so maybe we analyze, is this person moving in a locomotor or non-locomotor way? Is this person doing specific things, right? So it's, it's analyzing a little bit more of that aspect, but we're still addressing it. So I like to give this example about this one second grade standard a couple years ago that we were dealing with in my district that was students will sing this ostinato. And that was mm -hmm. our standard, right? Not students will perform this ostinato, but sing. Mm -hmm. And this was based on the national card standards, which was perform, right? Right. So when we're looking at that, I thought, well, why would we say sing when we really mean perform? We really mean we want them to understand the, the way that the pitch is moving, we want them to understand the phrase, we want them to understand how it fits in this piece of music, why do we say sing? Like, that's just not a skill that everybody is going to have in the same way. Right. But if I have, stud I have students now who we use like switches to communicate, students who are oral verbal, mm -hmm. not oral verbal, will use switch to communicate so they will play the correct ostinato. 
Well, they'll tell me if this, if I sang the correct one, yes or no, or I will play the first three notes and they'll have to play the last note, or I will give them just a scale of buttons and they have to play them in the correct order. They're still performing, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It's just not their thing. And they are, I would beg to say they're singing. It's mm-hmm. just not coming out of their throat, but they're singing, you know? Right. So it's, it's all in approaching the how we're going to do that. And it takes a lot of out-of-the-box thinking. Um, I'm still changing. I'm still thinking through. I would say that every activity that I have for lesson has at least three different ways to demonstrate your knowledge. Right. But that also then for the students who do grasp it, it strengthens their knowledge because they're able to demonstrate it in three different ways, which is pretty cool. Right. You know, uh, a couple things on everything that you just said. One, I felt seen when you said, <laughs> you know, the uh, adapting versus modifying, you know, because I, I've, I've used that, um, you know, having to necessarily, not necessarily change the song, but change the way that I approach it with each individual student. Um, so thank you. I, I, I know that I'm not alone then. Um, <laughs> and you had mentioned nonverbal students and you mentioned that the standard was to sing. So when those standards were written, like who were they written for is, is the question. You know, I um, personally, I had a nonverbal student who um, the, the way that we had approached talking to the student or, you know, communicating with the student was through writing, had great penmanship, could write um, and nodding and, and, you know, just using a lot of hand gestures. But um, yeah, having them sing is is very different. I love the idea of using switches, using bells, using all these different devices that give those students the opportunity uh, to be able to learn. So um, again, modifying versus um, adapting, two completely different things, which I think you, you explained perfectly. Um, now let's talk a little bit about the social emotional learning aspect. We talked about SEL. Um, we had a great guest a few weeks ago, Darlene Machacon, who talked about social emotional learning in the classroom. I think that was the episode that you actually had mentioned when you had emailed me. Uh, such a great episode too. And um, especially in this year, a year like this year where everyone is trying to adapt on the fly Things change daily in terms of what you're allowed to do in the classroom, how you're supposed to approach teaching with your students, either in the classroom or at home or both. You know, um, how do you approach that just idea of social emotional learning to make sure that all of your students feel comfortable within the classroom and what they're learning? Absolutely. And yeah, I loved that that episode with Darlene. Darlene and I just collaborated on, so you're going to hear a lot of things that are similar. Oh, that's amazing. Awesome. together on a book. So um, love her. She's, she's incredible. But mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's so important to reiterate again that it has to be intentional. SEL has become mm-hmm. the big buzzword in the last year or two in, in education and especially music education. Everybody, that's what we said. Yeah, everybody's saying SEL <laughs> and but people don't know what it is, right? And people are like, oh, I'm incorporating a song from somebody's culture. Cool. Check off the box. It's not a checklist. SEL is not a checklist. SEL is continuing to evolve, to understand your students for who they are and that they can buy into the classroom, that it's their classroom, right? So I always talk about this aspect of safety and being physical safety. So I don't know what the standards are um, where you're teaching for like evaluation, right? But from an administrator mindset now, Think about the standards of evaluation we use Charlotte Danielson, which is basically four different areas, and and one of those is your classroom space. And Mm -hmm. we think about the physical classroom space, but we don't think about it in a way that's like, oh, can my students actually access this physical space? Are the desks far enough apart for students who are in wheelchairs? 
Can right. they reach the materials? Do they know where materials are? How can we promote independence within the classroom space? That's even like the first step. If you're walking into a classroom and you can't access the classroom, how can you feel welcome? How can you feel part of that culture? Right. For me, it's really setting up my school year with intention. Even now when I've been virtual, what do we want to accomplish in our classes? What are the expectations that we have for ourselves and each other? We do a lot of personal goal setting. Mm -hmm. This is what we're going to be talking about. And I mean, my students' goals are obviously different from each other and different than anybody's, but some of them, their goal is to stay on screen for 20 minutes. That's right. their goal, right? right. And that mm -hmm. ties them to the rest of the classroom and the community. So really making sure that not only are we hearing their voice, but we're understanding their voice and we're validating and affirming their voices and their experiences. It's right. so important to have those connections and it has to be intentional because they know kids know they can read you from a mile away. If you're checking mm -hmm. out a box or if you actually care, the one good thing I will say that came out of the pandemic is now when we're virtual, we're in the students' houses, right? You know, we're with mm -hmm. their family members interacting and we can really see a side of them and kind of their home culture. And now we're able to bring that into our school culture. And we want to have a combined culture of both our home and school where we can come together and say, this is our culture. Your home culture right. is welcome here. You are welcome here. Let's build this together. And I think that's, you know, the very first step. And from there, we can utilize music as an activity to build upon it, bringing in, you know, that school music and that home music and how they meant together and continue to build those relationships. And, and once you're able to validate students and their voices and their experiences and affirm them and say, I see you, I hear you, I appreciate you. It, it makes a world of difference because they know that they're welcome there. They're ready to participate. Students mm -hmm. who, who aren't validated and affirmed are not going to be ready to learn. They're just simply not. Right. And, and they might not be willing to give as much of themselves as they would if they felt welcomed, you know, and, um, you can you can see that a lot sometimes where a student might be like even students who may not have any um you know any anything we'll say anything wrong with them you know um that just they may have a not a great home life and there is just continuing into the classroom and you know you want to make them feel welcome regardless of what their situation might be everyone deserves to be treated the same fairly and equally you know and regardless especially i teach in a middle school setting so you want to make sure that you're doing it but making sure your colleagues are doing it as well you know it should be across the board student comes in period one they're getting that same uh, treatment as they would be period nine at the end of the day you know you want to give them that positive experience throughout so you know and then if you look for like the peaks and valleys of their behavior you look for those you know you look for those moments where all right the student's excelling here why are they excelling here but not here you know is it the curriculum or is it the way it's being taught or how they're being treated so i always think of those things in terms of you know some of my students who may not be as strong but they're giving their all you know versus students who just are acting out because they're looking for the attention somehow you know so um one of the cool things that i i read about you is that um you actually coach on social emotional learning and you know neurodiversity training within the state of illinois and um you are actually also a part of the music team for uh social emotional learning in the music classroom through uh music for all so can you talk a little bit about how, how you got involved with that and um what that's yeah. been like 
Yeah, and I won't be afraid to admit it. I went, um, Scott Edgar is incredible um, regarding social emotional learning, and he's really worked with Music for All. And really, they have some, an awesome website coming out soon, lots of great materials. So look up Music for All, and there'll be lots of SEL for everybody. Um, but he presented a session in my district, and I was listening to it, and I thought, wow, this is just not accessible to everybody. And he is awesome. And I, I kind of just sent him an email to say, hey, do you ever, do you want to chat about this? And we had a long talk and he brought me on and said, you know, it's it's really important to look at this from an accessibility lens. And I want to like put place importance on the fact too that accessibility is not just disabled individuals, right? It's everyone. It's access for right. everyone. What we do to make things accessible for neurodivergent individuals is going to benefit everyone. I was talking mm-hmm. about um, in a session that I'm actually doing this weekend in Arkansas, and I was doing it with the co-teacher, and I brought up using a visual schedule. She's like, uh, that would so work for me. I don't know why I don't do that for myself. It's just these little things that if we don't, we're all in a place where we're coming from our own personal experiences, right? Yes. And so the yeah. biggest thing, especially with SEL and with accessibility, is just thinking of what other people's experiences are. It's empathy. That's what we're trying to teach when we work with SEL, you know, we're focused on ourselves, we're focused on our relationships with others and then our decision-making. And so if we take that mindset with those three main areas and we say, okay, these are my experiences. Now, how do they connect to somebody else's? What are their experiences mm-hmm. and what decisions can I make moving forward? So that's kind of the big picture that when I'm, t- I mean, coaching comes from all aspects and all areas. And usually it is my bread and butter is if you have an activity that you're doing, I'd love to tell you three ways that I think you can add another little activity to modify it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just really thinking outside of the box. And I've been really lucky that I've had support in multiple buildings where I get technology and my students have awesome devices to communicate or we're clever and we come up with something unique. But it, it really is that that experience piece. And the more you do it, the more you get used to it, the more you love it, the more you get passionate about it. And I think from a music educator standpoint, there is just not enough training on neurodiversity mm-hmm. and working with individuals who are neurodiverse. And right. we say time and time again, you know, everybody is human. Just treat everybody like a human and you'll be good. I promise. Mm-hmm. I know I've had a lot of friends who will ask, like coming into music, I have this self-contained class. What am I going to do? Well, just treat it like another class and then you'll see where they're <laughs> at and then you'll, you'll change. You'll, you'll modify it from there. But the premise, if you go into everything, but this is just another eighth grade student that has some different needs or that perceives things a different way or processes things a different way, you're Mm going to be good to go. So everybody is capable of working with all students. If you just are willing to take a step back and say, okay, I can do this. This is another human. I'll treat them like they're another human. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, again, I feel seen again, because that was me when I took on this job a few years ago. Um, The adaptive music class was part of my schedule and um, I had not really experienced that moment. So I was that person says, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? How am I going to be able to handle this? Um, It was a variety of different learners. And, you know, the first day it was really just take a deep breath, get to know the students. And then, like you said earlier, uh, focus on individual goals. What can we accomplish with each student? And then really just uh, create off of that. And like each class, it would just build off the one previously. Now, you know, for me, I get to see those, I only get to see those students every other day. So it would, it would give me a day to reflect 
and to really recap what I did and what we as a class can focus on and develop as well. And, and one of the greatest things that I love about where I work is that um, we, we have our, you know, our paraprofessionals are amazing, you know, and we have students who have one-on-one paraprofessionals. So I do have that help and that um, component, but there might be some folks who may not, um, and they feel alone as they're trying to do it. But yeah, I, I love the approach of being able to focus on the individual students uh, throughout. And I think that's great. Um, now this is an acapella podcast yep. and, you know, and Elise, you actually, Elise is actually one of the producers and she's a judge for both the ICCA and the ICHSA, uh, through varsity vocals, which actually just finished their semifinal rounds, uh, this past weekend. Um, and so in a terms of acapella, you know, how would you, um, make acapella more accessible in the classroom, right? I mean, for me, mine has been, you know, utilizing warm-ups with acapella, you know, teaching chords, things like that. But what are some ways that you can incorporate acapella uh, into the choral classroom, but also into one of those adaptive classrooms? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great question because uh, just a little background, I came from a show choir background that was like Mm. show choir all the time, cost thousands of dollars, the most inaccessible art form that I can think of at, at that time for high school students, yep. right? Oh, yeah. And when I entered the world of acapella, I loved it because at the time it was like the most accessible art form. All you needed was yourself and maybe mm-hmm. a couple other people. And th- I mean, this was before we had all the individual microphones and these, you know, we did ICCA, but it was like, we all had one microphone to share and we would just road mm-hmm. trip, you know, an hour soft and take the car and then come back the next day. And that was it. Um, so, Although it started that way, and that was like a really great thing, we're, we're now seeing there are people that have different needs, and we need to respect that and validate that and affirm that, right? So mm-hmm. when we're talking about bringing acapella into the classroom, especially since there is no one way to do acapella, especially during mm-hmm. the pandemic, we've seen, I, know, I don't know if anybody's seen all these awesome videos that have been put out, there's no one way to do it. Mixing and editing can provide so many cool features and mm-hmm. you don't just have to use your physical voice to be able to be part of an acapella group, right? So for mm-hmm. my students, some of the time that is them utilizing their physical voice. And sometimes it's them creating music based on buttons that are in the scale. That's my voice, but they're creating the patterns. I really, really like improvisation. That's the number one thing I like to do with my students because that creativity piece and the pride that comes from these awesome songs that they've created is huge. Now, right. like just one general, one big general project that we do in creating music, but just thinking again outside of the box, it doesn't have to be their physical voice. Can they move? Can they do body percussion? If not, can they use, my students use eye gaze to communicate. Can they use an eye gaze machine to choose if we're going to repeat that section or create a new section? Can they piece together a piece of music? And then even from there, it's it's like little things. And I'm pulling from a session I'm doing this weekend, but little things like when you have music, if you want everybody to be able to participate, maybe don't put everything on one page. Maybe give them half a page so they only have half a page to focus on. Maybe go measure right. by measure. Maybe at the beginning of class, you take a red marker and have everybody find dough, and that's red. So you know what? No matter what, when students see that, they're going to land on dough. If nothing else, they've got dough, right? Right. Or, or go from there, whatever the color-coded system may be. That's awesome. And, you know, 
I like that approach because, you know, and I've mentioned this on numerous podcasts. I mentioned this to my students all the time is uh, I feel like we've, we've grown into a society where perfection is expected all the time from us. There's, you know, and I've mentioned auto tune previously where when it's used properly, it, it, it's a great tool, but you know, there's this idea that everything has to be perfect right from the get go. And there's no process to get there. And, you know, there's always this, this idea of respecting the process and trusting the process of how to get there. And, you know, when you say, Hey, if you hit dough, that's, that's our success for the day. That is our goal for the day. Um, you know, in my previous district that I used to work at, um, a couple of the students that I had, their parents are actually music licensed music therapists mm-hmm. at, um, the center for discovery that we have here in New York state. And they are phenomenal at what they do. And, um, my, my students at that time had the opportunity to meet their choir, which was, you know, five, five students ranging from, you know, 17 years old to 23 years old. And, um, you know, and there were a couple of actually nonverbal students in there who participated using a switch and, and whatnot. And, uh, it was, it was fascinating for my students to be able to see that side, but also knowing that it was the goal setting was very different than what we had designed for us. It was, uh, achievable, attainable goals for those students that my students might've been able to figure out in, you know, 15 minutes for these students, it might've taken them an hour, you know? So, um, the small attainable goals is, is important. And I mean, you're nodding your head. I think you agree with me. And when I say this idea of, of perfection has really, uh, messed with the, the psyche of, of some of our students, uh, today, you know? Um, do you agree? I do. do and I'm going to speak from a teacher lens. And then also I'm going to give a little judge lens for varsity of mm-hmm. too. Well, not for varsity, but for ICC and ICHSA. So from a music teacher's perspective, I, well, who decides perfection? You know, like everybody's idea of perfection is different. And we have the world right now is so focused on it that it's just not obtainable because somebody is always not going to like something you're putting out there. And somebody mm-hmm. is always going to like somebody else's better. And somebody's always going to love yours no matter what. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. why do we have this, this overarching idea? And of course we need standards. We need things that we can align to. So we're all on the same page. I get that. But perfectionism is not ever the goal in my classroom. It's artfulness for my mm-hmm. students and for my voice students and for anybody that I work with. No matter what level they're at, no matter what age, it's artfulness. How can you keep music in your life forever? How can you use music as a tool to get through life? How can you make it so that music is something that you're connected to? And I will only briefly talk about it from Varsity Vocal Lens. I'm going to give a little shout out. We're doing a session um, at Boss about this, myself and a couple other judges, about competition and the way we view it. But I will tell you, as a judge... Yeah, your scores, you know, they, they're pretty in line. They either are or aren't this. But when it comes to those subjectives, I don't <laughs> care if you had the most perfect pitch the entire time. If your balance and blend was 100, if your tempo was perfect, you could get a great vocal and visual score. But those groups that I can tell they're passionate, they're loving their time together, they're so proud, that's going to get me the subjective, right? <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. I want to feel what you feel. But... Everybody feels different things. So perfectionism is so subjective. It really is. We can't worry about that. We right. our, our goal is to put our art out there and to hope that it makes a difference in somebody's lives the way that it made a difference in our life. 
Right. And, you know, uh, not for nothing, you know, my middle school group actually participated in the ICHSA this year. They put out a music video themselves. And, you know, uh, I told them, you know, scores are, are one thing. Comments are so much more. You know, and um, while you can be like, all right, yeah, we got this score. Great. You know, the judges offer some valuable, solid feedback and just the whole situation this year. You know, I've I've interviewed many people and uh, actually a few of the people that I've interviewed, um, their groups have gone on to the next round. They went on to the semifinals, you know, and um, they have some solid students, but also, you know, having those conversations with them you know that their their situation is a, is a lot different than ours, you know, in terms of how their students were able to meet, you know, what the guidelines were within their own district, just little things like that. But it really comes down to the passion that you, you talk about and how much they, they enjoyed what they were doing. You know, my students have been basically, that group had been virtual all year. We're not actually getting the opportunity to meet in person yet because the guidelines just changed from 12 feet to six feet. So now we have the ability to actually sing in our classrooms a little bit more. And, you know, some of these students are hundred percent online learners. So now we're trying to actually get them to sing with each other for the first time. So when, uh, you know, the fact that they've been virtual the entire year and they put together something that's, that's something that I think to be proud of even more than anything else. And it didn't even have to be perfect. It was just putting something together that you could feel proud of. And I think that's more important than the perfection of, of anything, yeah. you know, and we get so tied up in, in just our general society of we've got to be doing this and we've got to be busy and we've got to keep working and we've got, especially with the pandemic, am I doing enough? You know, mm-hmm. but if it brings you joy, that's what it's about. Find the right. thing that brings you joy. What in music brings you joy? Why do you do this? That's what we're here for. That's what I want to feel. That's what I want to instill in my students. Mm-hmm. And and talking about your students, um, you had mentioned, um, I was reading through your bio earlier, that you actually teach students that are essentially pre-K mm-hmm. all the way up to adults. Yes. So is is the idea the same? Is your approach the same regardless of age with your students? Absolutely. The concepts will change um, based mm-hmm. on, you know, state regulations, national regulations, but the ideas are the same. It's all about artfulness the whole way through. And, you know, with a lot of my older students, I work um, in like a musical theater peer buddies program with Mm -hmm. adults of everything, (laughs) Um, adults older than me, adults younger than me. And it's about connection, artfulness, finding joy in what you're doing and sharing that joy with the community, building those community partnerships. Same thing goes with preschool, finding joy in music, having those first interactions and really realizing what music can do to help bring more joy to your life. Right. So I believe you touched base on it a little bit, um, you know, talking about neurodiverse students and just the variety of disorders that they, they have, uh, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, those different things. Um, how, how do we ensure that there is, you know, a place for them in music? You know, I've always, I've always had the worry. I mean, in, as I think it's a, a, a decent worry, you know, a student who has, you know, dyslexia struggling to read sheet music that we have in class or, um, you know, a student who, um, struggles with, uh, you know, phonemes and, and just has, you know, dyspraxia, has trouble speaking things. How, how do you suggest that we're able to ensure that they're getting the best possible experience in our music classrooms? Yeah. Again, it comes down to that, that validating and affirming where they're coming from. 
and really mm-hmm. building what we're doing around that. Of course, again, your goal is the same. You want them to perform that piece of music, but how are you doing that? And on a personal note, I will share that presentation with you so you have some of this stuff too with some of the yeah. modifications. But um, <laughs> it, it really is saying, okay, this is this is what a challenge is here. How am I going to do this differently? It's it's like when we were in school, right? And we're, we're doing juries to graduate from our music ed program. And we have to sing. Oh, don't that. remind me. Right? Yeah, but no. We can't, we can't understand this measure. We're just not getting it. What do we do? Well, we try one thing and it doesn't work. So we try another thing and that doesn't work. So we try another way. We have mm-hmm. to think about it as it's it's the same goal, but what can we do to modify it to meet their needs? So if they're having issues with phonemes and they're not able to make some of the sounds, can they sing that on a different syllable? Can we change right. to make it work? Is it going to impact the piece? Probably not, right? Is it going to help them be part of the group? Absolutely. If a student really can't focus on the music, can I color code it instead of using the notes they've written? Absolutely. They're still learning the same thing. They're still reading the music. It just has an assistance of colors. If they have to right. focus on one measure at a time, get a sheet of paper to block everything out and just cut out one measure's worth and move it along with them. Use right. to trace it. Use a highlighter. Like, there are so many things that I think we just don't think about because it's not the way that we learn. Everybody learns differently. And these things are going to help somebody else too, right? Everything <laughs> is going to help somebody else without realizing it because it's going to be a way that just clicks. So mm-hmm. the first thing we really have to do is throw out our preconceived notions of perfectionism. Just like we've been saying, focus on the artfulness and focus on how can my student participate in this? But then also, is this meaningful to them? And oftentimes right. in the choral education classroom, and sometimes in band and orchestra too, less so in general music, we do things because it's what we should do. Because this is the piece we should sing because we've got to have a German song this year, Right. Is that meaningful mm-hmm. to our students? Maybe. Is it? Yeah, no. The, you mentioned you mentioned that the checking, it's the checking of the box. And, you know, Darlene and I had joked about how when you go onto those websites and, and you look up the, the new, the multicultural, they call it, the multicultural music. And for who? You know, you listen to some of those songs and, and you're like, okay, the the idea is there, but the meaning behind it is not. Or the fact that you're creating partner songs with um, with your own lyrics tied to, you know, folk songs from a variety of cultures. It's, it's, it's again, it's the why. Why are you choosing to do that? Is it really for your own benefit? Is it for your students' benefit to really, or is it just you to say, well, I did that this year. I can check that off my list. And um, this actually sounds a little bit, uh, I'm sure it happens. It doesn't happen where I teach at least is um, it gets the administrators not coming at you. So it's like, you know, um, we have, you know, this holiday coming up, you should sing a song that relates to said holiday. You know, it's, it's because we're being told to, as opposed to getting the value out of it. As opposed to at the beginning of the year, asking your students what they celebrate and how they celebrate it and how they'd like to bring that into our classroom. Would they feel comfortable Mm -hmm. sharing that with us? Would their families feel comfortable sharing with that with us? Like there's a way to if you're really a check all those boxes person, which I'm saying with air quotes for anybody who can't see me right now, <laughs> if right. you're a check all those boxes person, you can check those boxes in a way that is actually intentional and meaningful for your students. But I encourage you to throw that checklist out the door because it, it's not going to be meaningful. Your students know what's meaningful to them. They know themselves right. better than anybody else. It's our job to see them, see their experiences. I keep saying it, validate those experiences 
and mm-hmm. ensure that they are part of our classroom culture. And that means our classroom space, the way that we interact with each other, student to student, student to teacher, the way that we interact with everybody around us, the activities that we do, what our daily schedule looks like. It's a collaboration. Teaching mm-hmm. is not me standing in front of the room lecturing to you about what this rhythm might be. Music is not a lecture. It's collaboration. It's ensemble work. Right. Your classroom should be that way too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for secondary educators out there, I think it's important to remember too that, you know, what works with your, you know, third period choral section might not work with your seventh period choral section, you know, and it's, it's about adapting uh, every period, uh, you know, to meet the needs of the students that are, are there, you know, and, and doing the comparing contrast. And it's like, well, third period was able to, like, you, you can't compare when you have a different set of students in those classrooms. I think that's important to remember too. And that goes back to, I think, the, the social emotional learning a- a aspect. I think the making comparisons and drawing comparisons to others could actually be more detrimental, do more harm than good sometimes. You know, do you agree with that? That um, doing the constant comparisons affect- are no good. Relationships yeah. are what we're aiming for, right? We don't need those mm-hmm. comparisons. And even with that too, like, your seventh period choir might even be different on Monday than it is on Tuesday than it is on Wednesday. So exactly. it's, not just, it's not just that everybody checks something at the door when they come in. Everybody has a different morning, a different day. We don't know our students' experiences. We mm-hmm. need to take them where they're at and work there. That's how we're going to reach them. That's how we're going to promote artfulness. Isn't our job to want everybody to, to be musicians, to want everybody to have music in their life? Not professional musicians, although that's awesome. If that's what you want to do, great. But to have music in their lives. Right. Well, to be professional musicians is like another conversation yes. for another day that, that other people truly feel. But yeah, sorry, I, I had cut you off. Go ahead. No, continue. that's okay. And, <laughs> and if that's what it is, that's awesome. I just want everybody to feel a connection to music to use mm-hmm. it to better themselves, to better their relationships, to make better life decisions that are meaningful to them. And if that's the lens we approach it, then they're going to be successful because that's we're going to ensure that they're getting what they need. Right. And, you know, I, I love that you say it in that way because every year when I teach uh, in, in my general music class, my, my seventh grade students, I always ask the question because it's a requirement. Uh, they must take a music class, whether it's band course or general music in seventh grade. So I always ask at the beginning of the year, how many of you hate music? And the amount of hands that go up blow my mind. And then I, I rephrase the question. I was like, all right, hold on. How many of you hate music class? You know, because for most of them, actually, pretty much all of them, they love music. They love different, um, different uh, genres, different styles. You know, and actually, some of the artists that, that they like, I've never heard of before. They're not your popular artists. You know, some of them are big in the indie scene. Some of them love like Brazilian music. You know, there's some really cool stuff out there. They hate the idea of music class because of experiences that they've had personally, um, or they, they think it's boring learning this, that, and the other thing. But if you approach it from a different lens, like you say, um, you could really change their perspective. And, um, every year it's been the same thing. We, I have seen a difference in their thinking, their thought process and how music truly relates to everything that's going on in their life, because there is a, a connection to what's going on in their own personal lives, what's going on in the world culturally, you know, like even like we're in the middle of a rock and roll history unit, we're talking about the British invasion and how just 
every like style, fashion, art, everything shifted in the mid sixties when this British invasion happened. And some of those I- ideas and concepts, like the idea, like mini skirts and, and just, you know, the large fashion belts and skinny, t- like all of that still is here today. You know, all of these influences happened and they don't realize that part music was partly because of that too. So, um, you know, it's it's making those connections, having to look through it, uh, their lens, and also understanding where they're coming from and seeing their side. So, um, before we go, I actually have one last question for you. You had actually mentioned this a couple times in passing. Uh, you mentioned his name, Scott Edgar, yes. um, and you are actually uh, contributing to an upcoming uh, book. Can you actually talk a little bit about that book in, in terms of, uh, it deals with social emotional learning. So can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yeah. So Darlene also wrote a chapter. She wrote mm-hmm. the forward and it's already out. So please go read it. It's free. Go read okay. the forward. It's incredible. And it's about cultural responsiveness and relevancy in the music classroom. Um, but this, the book that we just finished is all about different ways to incorporate SEL in the music classroom. There are general music teachers, there are choral educators, band educators, orchestra educators, all explaining just some activities that they do in their classroom and why it's relevant and really why it changed their teaching and changed their student experiences. And Darlene really looks at it at in the forward from a cultural lens and how we're really making mm-hmm. that there's cultural relevancy. And then at the end, I just kind of give some examples of how you can adapt and modify these pieces to work for neurodiverse learners. Um, and mm-hmm. we do have another upcoming project um, working with the Oxford Journal of Care and Compassion, which we're really excited about. Um, we're awesome. talking about SEL and various experiences and care and compassion in general in the music classroom. So that is still a while. It's a work in progress. <laughs> that won't be up for a while. <laughs> now, you said that that book is free and there there is a link, correct? There, that we so can... the forward is free. I believe it's about 15 pages and there is okay. somewhere and I will find it and send it to you. I'm sure All right, it's on Facebook somewhere that I was tagged in. Perfect. I'll make sure that um, we get that in the episode description, um, as well as your own personal website. Elise has this great website, you know, talks about, um, you know, her her career, everything going on. And she has this great uh portion in here where she has some teaching videos but also she does this song of the week um and i I just want to kind of bring this up to kind of give you an idea of the amount of work that elise does like she is a workhorse um for the example this week's song is you've got a friend in me and in here she's got links to for the song the instrumental version with lyrics on the screen again she said there's at least three different ways she's got the lyrics in english she's got them in spanish you know um focusing on rhythm and melody it's just amazing the amount of work that you put in and it's not just for your own personal students but this it's it's an educational resource for us as educators so um thank you for providing a resource that you know we use i know that you know pinterest is like the rage nowadays and and there's certain teachers you know who focus on youtube channels and things like that but you know you're putting your own spin on things and putting your own work out there and i think it's a a great tool a valuable resource and um I wish you all the best of luck with this um, administrative uh, degree that you're working towards. But I I do hope that it doesn't take you out of the classroom because everything that we've talked about today, I'm hearing amazing things. And your students are lucky to have you as as, uh, their teacher because you're doing some phenomenal work. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And yeah, anybody is welcome to send me a contact form on that website. I, I love talking about this stuff. I love sharing. I, my goal is for the world to be accessible for everybody. So however I can help with that, please don't hesitate to reach out. I would love to talk about anything with anyone. <laughs>
Awesome. And like I said, I'm going to post the link to uh, Elise's website as well as the link to uh, the forward of that book um, that she had mentioned earlier. Um, Elise Hackle, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Justin from the Aka Education Podcast here to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is what I use to create these podcasts and let me tell you, it's free. Uh, There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And the beauty of it is it will distribute the podcast for you. So I can record on Anchor and it's going to send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places as well. And I love that I can make money from this podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So be sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, thank you so much to Elise Hackle for joining me this week on the Aka Education Podcast. Some great information about neurodiverse learners in the classroom and social emotional learning for you to check out. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on social media at Aka Ed Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at Official JGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. New episodes are released every Wednesday. You can also now tune into the podcast on Akaville Radio, akaville.org. If interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation, go over to anchor.fm slash podcast to do so. And if you ever have any questions about the podcast, suggestions on future guests, please email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the Anchor website. From the Aka Education Podcast, I'm Justin Glodish. We'll talk soon.